Hello, and thank you for joining us for How Have You Not Seen, a movie podcast where we fill in the gaps in each other's cinematic knowledge by asking important questions like, you seriously never saw The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, or How Have You Not Seen After Hours? After hours. After oh, hours. oh! I get to see a Scarcheesy. You do. You've never. This is. You've never. Any of them. You've never seen. You ever seen Wolf no. Wall Street? No. I've seen like. Out. I've seen like thirty minutes of uh, Gangs of New York a couple times. We should do Scorchezy. The only difficulty would be like narrowing it down because that man has made a shit ton of movies and a lot of them are really good. I read. I was reading a like a, somebody was doing a like an interview with Scorsese uh, about Killers of the Flower Moon. And mm-hmm. they started their thing being like, the person was like, I could, I would not make this argument. And I don't think it's true, but it's not. But like, you could make the argument that Martin Scorsese has released the greatest film of every decade for the last five decades. And it wouldn't be like that crazy. Of an argument. It wouldn't be like that intense. Of an argument. No, yeah, like yeah. you like, it's probably not correct, but like, Someone could make that argument and they could argue it in like a fair way and you would have to give credence to it. For sure. Yeah. Um, all right, let's do it. Because he's never been like, Spielberg is our greatest living director, but like he's had weird periods. He's had- Let's do this. Yeah, let's do it. Let's, let, let's go. Let's, let's go. Stop. No, just because I want to keep, I want to get that on mic. Yeah. What, so we're just doing it? We're just in it? Um. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just fully just record the after, Who cares? Who cares? after hours intro. Uh, why don't we do my episode? We already did the intro. It's fine. Um, so Martin Scorsese is, a, is an incredible filmmaker. That is not like a t- <laughs> hot take. Hot take. I mean, hey, if if th- that that's that that would be uh, that'd be a tough sell to um, to, uh, to 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 the Marvel forums. Am I right? Don't talk about my people like that, <laughs> Corey. You my are culture not is not people. my culture is not your costume. <laughs> Okay, one, first of all, first of all, (laughs) first of all, anyone can be Spider-Man. It is absolutely my costume. Uh, (laughs) Second off, second off, Corey, I do not group you in with these people. You are not. I appreciate that. These people, this is, oh, I was going to say this is a small fringe, but it's really not. Um, He's got big. But uh, yeah, every time Scorsese opens his mouth, uh, uh, Anyway, I love Martin Scorsese. He is like kind of as 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 a good good Catholic. He is the patron saint of cinema. Like I want a Scorsese candle. Like I need a yeah. Scorsese prayer candle. He is like he like embodies this the shit. Like he's not my favorite director of all time, but like he is like the patron saint of the medium for me. Yeah, and so many of his movies deal with spirituality. Nearly all of them in some Correct, way. yes. Like, mm-hmm. all of his movies try to deal with transcendence. Or, or the afterlife, or, you know, whatever. Um, it is worth... Okay, I'm gonna... We're gonna get this down. Um, so, what were we supposed to do this week? We were supposed to do um, 
a little movie called Prisoners, uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve. But guess what? We were doing it because Dune was going to be coming out when we released this, and it's not anymore. I'm so fucking mad about that. Can I go off for just a second about how mad I am that there's no Dune? Okay. Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. If a creative team says, hey, we need to delay a movie for whatever reason, like whatever, we need, if, if Denis Villeneuve came out and was like, Something is not up to snuff. I went to Warner Brothers. I said, will you give me an additional $20 million to like do a few weeks of reshoots? Like, I want to give the editors more time. I want to give, hell, it'd be great to, uh, they're about to unionize, hopefully. Uh, VFX, VFX artists like need more time to like get this right. I'd be like, yes, absolutely. Take as much time as you need to make Dune Part 2 a sublime cinematic experience that I'm sure it's going to be. The reason that Warner Brothers delayed it, and it's not like they came out and said this, was because a lot of things are getting delayed because... Um, I mean, they basically said it. They basically did. Because... They said because of the strikes, they're delaying it. Currently, when we are... This is going to be weird because we're recording this uh, first half quite a bit in advance. Yes. As when we are recording, the WGA has just reached an agreement. That just strikes, like within yes. like 48 hours. Two days ago, yeah. That strike is about to end. Uh, it is, I don't know, when this releases, SAG might also have reached an agreement. Warner Brothers, the entire, like, decision-making process around this is not anything to do with the actual state of the movie, or even, like, how many people are going to go see the movie. It's because SAG's on strike, and therefore none of the actors, the principal actors in this movie, can go out and do um, press for the film. Correct. And Warner Brothers so desperately wants like three weeks of a press cycle that in which Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet can go on every show and like lip sync for Jimmy Fallon. Exactly. Like both for the sake of driving up sales of this movie and also just increasing the brand recognition of some of these actors and this studio as a whole. It is solely David Zaslav making the like strategic decision of, oh, I want, like I want Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet's face on cable television and on YouTube more than they already are because it is even if it's bad for dune or it's bad for you know whatever it's going to be better for our company going forward right it shows our access to star power and i think it's i think i think it's funny and i think it's interesting right because um the first dune was a like was a shocking success financially given that it was like just coming out of covid and they did the day and date release on HBO Max. And, and it's based Because that was the whole thing. And insane well, yes, and it's Dune. Like, don't get yeah, me wrong. It's, dude, it's the, it's the weirdest book that for some reason is right. popular. Yeah. But but that was the thing is they were like, they were like, okay, like, like it was one of those things where everybody was like, does, does Dune just bomb? Like, is Dune going to come out? Like, did they just give him $100 million to make like maybe 23 back? Like, yeah. That was a question. Is people were like, okay, well, like people are gonna go see it on like people are gonna like watch it on HBO instead. Like all of the like all of the like the normies are gonna watch it on HBO if they're gonna watch it at all and like whatever. And it was a shocking box office success. Like it was insane that it made as much as it did as quickly as it did. And I so I think it's so funny that they're like that they're like not and 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 it's like I get it like on the one hand like they don't like they would rather build on that and get it to and and double what the first one did you know what I mean like like 
build on it than like yeah. be like oh well like it's fine we can we can release it because the first one was a surprise hit yeah like the first one outdid expectations and people are now just more excited about it and so like they want to capitalize on that they don't want to do the same thing twice but like it's just funny that like we're getting Dune too because the first one was such a uh, such a shocking success to so the fact that they're like no we're gonna push it which I'm I am pissed off about March yeah March is That's not a good time to release Dune terrible terrible yeah yeah I I agree I think it's a really bad time to release the movie I would not be I would not be surprised if they bumped it again. I yeah, would not that's... be surprised if the strike ends in a couple weeks and then they say, well, we've already got it. We know the strike is over. Let's push it to July. Yeah. Or, or even early summer to be an early yeah. summer release. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. but... the other thing is they're going into a relatively uncrowded summer because of the strikes. So they could, they could own June if they really wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's a bad time for that film. Dune's Dune's so heady and weird. It it should be released in November like the previous one. Whatever. Yeah, the, the only thing I will say, the only, only, well, actually, no, that's actually not true. I was going to say, I really like the, I was going to say, I do want Dune 2 to make as much money as possible because, um, <laughs> because I want Dune 3. <laughs> Messiah so bad. But I don't, but that's the thing is like, if, if, we were about to do Dune Messiah. Like if mm-hmm. this was Dune Messiah and we were hoping for a third one after that, I would want them to make as much money as they can by tricking people because like, but, but Dune too, like the end of Dune is a pretty straightforward yeah. hype ending. So the like end of shit Dune... doesn't get insane until, until the second book. So we'll, we'll start talking. Okay. We're going to look one of, I like prisoners a lot. Uh, I think it's a very, a very uneven movie. Uh, that kind of demonstrates the fact that Denis Villeneuve has a lot of weird fixations and tastes, but he's got a great eye towards things that'll sell in Hollywood, despite the fact that a lot of his movies don't make money. Um, and we'll talk about that in March, because we'll do Prisoners in March when Dune actually comes out. We're going right. to do it. Uh, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about Wolverine and Mysterio fighting the Riddler. We'll talk about it. Dune's so stupid and I love it. Um, all right. So, but you know, you know who's at this point, again, we're recording this so far in advance. Um, by the time we will have released this episode, you know who had a release window this year and kept to it? Martin Scorsese. Martin, Martin, mm-hmm. Martin, Martin, a good fella, Scorsese. He, he is a good, he's a good fella. Ever since I can remember, I wanted to direct a bunch of good movies. I just think um, it's fucked up that he would make a film about that and endorse their actions by calling them good fellas. I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe that the end of Wolf of Wall Street, Leonardo DiCaprio looks at the camera and says, the filmmaker that wrote and directed this movie agrees with everything Jordan Belfort ever does. And he told me that I should date women that are even younger. <laughs> I can't believe that he says that. Uh, yes, he, oh. he looks, he looks directly into the camera and says everything that you just saw fucking rules and we love it. And it's so good. Oh, I do want to talk. We will maybe talk about Wolf of Wall Street on this podcast. Maybe we're talking about it now. Um, but right now we're going to talk about a really wonderful, uh, a movie that I feel, it just got on Criterion channel a little while ago. I feel like I've seen a lot more discussion about this movie in the past couple of years. Um, it's a bit of a, 
I'm not going to say a minor Scorsese because I think it's excellent, but it is a bit of a Scorsese B-side, you know, in his, in his totally, vast yeah, filmography. Totally, totally, is, totally. Yeah, not one of the big ones, not, you know, Casino or Goodfellas or Wall Street. Uh, we're going to be talking about After Hours. Excellent movie. So Caroline, how have you not yes. seen After Hours? So the thing about Martin Scorsese mm. is the man has been making films for 50 fucking years. Yes. Um, and the man, he's not, he's not, you know, there are a lot of directors out there who like make a movie every five years, you know, make a movie every, 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 every 10 years, every seven years. Like he's kind of constantly working. Yeah. I mean, like yes. Spielberg is of his generation, like Spielberg's a little more prolific. Um, Marty just makes a movie when they let him. Which is, which for 40 years was yeah. all the time. Yeah. Like he's made a lot of movies. Um, like, like really like there's like Spielberg is definitely more prolific than him. Yeah. Oh, who's, who's the, who's the, is there anybody more prolific than Scorsese other than, that you can think of, like off the top of your head, so of that generation. I mean, like fucking Hitchcock was similar. Like that's and then, been like, doing it. Yeah, did, I mean, like Hitchcock did John movies. Ford. Ironically, yeah, like, right, like, like no nobody that has been making movies in the in the studio system of New Hollywood to now. I mean, yeah, maybe I, maybe I don't know. Spielberg's hard to top because there are years when Spielberg makes two movies at once, like. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. I mean, Ridley Scott makes a lot of fucking Ridley movies, Scott too. Ridley Scott does make a lot of fucking um, movies. But, but I think like Scorchese's, a... I think Scorchese's probably beat him out, I Maybe. think. If not, they're close. But... I googled Scott. prolific directors, which I know is a super helpful search term. Mm. Uh, some of the tops, uh, James Cameron, Tim Burton. I would not, Tim Michael Burton Bay. has made a lot of fucking movies. Yeah, but I would not like. Obviously, like I, 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 not that either of you are saying this, but like it yeah. needs must be remarked. Like Burton is not Scorsese. Like no, 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 as good as Scorsese. Cameron yeah. is. I've never Cameron. Said that I would not, not call prolific. Yeah, like he I took would, a ten plus year break between his last two movies. Yeah, yeah. like I no. mean, he's 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 he he worked for a long time, but I mean, Cameron's yeah. only got like twelve films, like eleven films, something like that. Not even, not even what? Let me. Scorsese's so Terminator far down on this two, list. Aliens, Abyss, Titanic, Avatar 1, Avatar 2. Uh, True Lies. True Lies. Uh, yeah, that might be all of them. Nine. Yeah, nine. And then it'll be like 13 when the other four avatars come out, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean. mean it, it looks like the only two modern director modern directors that mm. are that are higher than the folks we're talking about are uh clint eastwood who oh, eastwood does make sure. a shit ton of movies he shits out uh, he does man. but he's not scorsese like he's yeah. not yeah. a titan like 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 clint has his place but clint is different clint yeah i'm when speaking you think, purely quantity no i know yeah no I, I yeah 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 sorry go on no, no, keep going. I was just saying, like, I'm not, I'm not saying Clint Eastwood is a better director than. Oh Martin no, 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 yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying. Like, Scor I, Scorsese I, has produced television. Scorsese has directed television. He works on the World Film Project. He has made multiple documentaries. The man yeah. has also worked in a lot of different mediums. Like he is, right. yeah, prolific well, and, as an artist generally. And the only thing, the only, the only, and Corey, I was not saying, um, like, well, Clint's not Scorsese. I was not saying that to correct you. I was just saying that, yeah. like, um. 
because like yeah like Clint Eastwood like churns him the fuck out yeah. but like Clint Eastwood does not have the same reputation as director that Scorsese does and yeah, yeah, Clint Eastwood if, if you I, I guarantee you if you pulled a random person off the street and said, what does Clint Eastwood do? They would say he's an actor. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, for the last 40 years, he's like, I mean, the man's so old. Like he's, he, he, so he's, he has largely been a director for the last 30 ish years, but like yeah. it is, cool. it is. Yeah. Corey, have you ever heard about how Clint Eastwood works? <laughs> um, uh, yeah no tell me okay i am fully this is after hours this is fully the like late Ooh, i see yeah, yeah 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 so this is we're getting this is this is a weird episode of the podcast so clint eastwood um is very famous you know how movies are made you know you 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 you, you set up your lights you set up the shot you do some you know if you get really lucky in the modern system maybe you get to do a little bit of blocking rehearsal um and then you just do takes you just have the actors do it you have you know, if effects need to happen in camera, you just do that. You do it over and over and over again until you get the take you want or you get the proper coverage. Um, Clint Eastwood is famous for, he maxes out at like two takes. Uh, yeah, that's what I thought. That's what yeah. I was going to say, yeah. Like maybe. Like there are so many stories of actors going to work on Clint Eastwood movies and they are largely terrified because they know they only have one chance to do it right. Yeah. And even if they're like, that was shit terrible, Clint would just be like, okay, next. And then just <laughs> barrel on, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So After Hours. Carol, yes. What yes. do you know about After Hours? Um, I know it is a Martin Scorsese film. Have yes. we done How Have You Not Seen? We uh, Well, that, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of, we, we went off on a huge tangent. But okay. he asked and I said, Martin Scorsese's made a lot of movies. movies. Sorry. Yes, yes, yes. I have not seen them all. I have not seen them all. I've seen, I would say of Scorsese, I would say I have seen like his, I would say his greatest hits. I would Mm -hmm. say that I'm, I'm pretty familiar. Like if, if, if Scorsese had a Beatles one, Mm -hmm. I I would be like, well, yeah, like I know so much. Like I, I've got, I've got such a working knowledge of his career, but like man's made a lot. Of movies. A lot of movies. Um, So what do I know about After Hours? One, it is directed by Martin Scorsese. From here, it's most... uh, Actually, no. I take that back. Two, two, two. The name of the film. Mm. After Hours. Um, (laughs) Yes, correct. Three, I do not know this. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to roll these dice and say, is this a Bobby D picture? No. No, okay. No. Um no. then then he would it would be weird if he was in this movie. <laughs> then I do not know anything else about after hours. It's um, 85, is that right? Uh 84. Yeah, yeah, yep, 85. Yeah. Um, um there's a few actors in this you might you definitely know. All character actors, nobody as big as a Robert De Niro. Uh Trying to think of a good hint for any of them that won't just give it away. Ah, no, I'll just I'll just let you discover them. That'll be fun. Cool. That'll be fun. Cool. Okay. All right. Well, if that's all you know, and it is long ass discussion. This is the longest a portion in any episode ever. Yes. Uh, are you ready to Sorry. play our game this week? No, it's, it's I, not your fault. Yeah, I'm. I'm stoked. Okay. Yeah, let's play. Hell yeah. 
Um, we're doing it two weeks in a row. We're playing Untitled Letterboxed Game. Uh, for those of you who have not played this game with us before, uh, Letterboxed is a, a social media app, uh, a website, if you will, uh, similar to X or Threads. Get out of here. <laughs> with either of those. Uh, do you know, are, do you, you see on Instagram now they've like inserted the threads into Instagram? Yes, it's it's bad. Yeah, it's um, weird. It's you terrible. can find me on Blue Sky at scare hyphen because you can't do underscores online dot bsky dot social because that's how that website works. For real. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Truth Social at uh, Freedom Guy. Uh, Freedom Guy January sixth. No, that's a, that's a lie. Um, okay, so. We're going to be playing Untitled Letterbox game. Letterbox, you might be familiar with, is a movie rating social media app. Uh, it's a whole lot of fun. I do enjoy most of my time on Letterboxd. Uh, I have gone on Letterboxd. I have found the film we are talking about today, After Hours, and also two other movies. I have found uh, three very low-rated reviews from those three movies. Uh, and I'm going to read those three reviews. Caroline's going to try and guess which review is of After Hours. Bonus points if she can guess... Uh, what the other two movies are. Correct, yes. Caroline, are you ready? As ready as I'll ever be. All right, Half Star, watched April 3rd, 2022. I was pulling an all-nighter while watching this, so I could relate to this bitch slowly going crazy. Okay. Half Star, watched November 24th, 2022. This movie is horrible. Like, we get it. You like New York. You didn't need to make these shitty characters or meandering pointless story to tell us that. Okay. One half star. Watch July 20th, 2023. Crude jokes from start to finish. Racism is funny, apparently. Also, cops are a good thing, too. Interesting. I think I have guesses, but the, and they're all Scorchese pictures. Mm. Am I allowed to ask if these are all Scorchese films? You don't um, have to answer. Not. That would be okay. too easy. Okay. I'm going to say three films. I'm just going to go one, two, three. And mm. I could be completely wrong. I'm going to say it's Bringing Out the Dead, followed by Taxi Driver, followed by After Hours. So really good guesses. Uh, and you're wrong. On all okay. <laughs> on all three? Yeah. Damn, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Is the first one After Hours? No, the second one was After Hours. Damn, okay. This movie is right. horrible. Like, we get it. You like New York. You needed to make these shitty characters meandering pointless story. If, if this person thought the theme of Taxi Driver was damn, I sure do love New York City. <laughs> Look, the thing is, is these the, the, we talk about it all the time. When you when you have an acclaimed and important whatever whatever kind of a big film, when somebody rates it a half star, their their reviews are typically out of touch with reality. That's very true. Ah, Travis Bickle in the Big Apple. I sure do love it. I mean, there's a lot. There's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of meandering in Taxi Driver, and there's a whole lot of shots. Yeah. Of New York. True. From a taxi. True. Um, the first one I was pulling an all-nighter while watching this, so I could relate to this bitch slowly going crazy, was 127 hours. Oh, because hours. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. And the third one, crude jokes from start to finish. Racism is funny, apparently. Also, cops are a good thing, too. Do you have a guess on it now? That you know the theme? Wait. Is this one all, Is this one also hours? Yeah. Cop? Hold, please. No, what is it? It's 
Rush Hour. Oh. oh. Yeah. I Rush went back hour. and forth between that and 25th Hour because I thought I could play off the New York thing, but Rush Hour. Jackie Chan. Rush Hour. Yeah. Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker. In a Brett Ratner film, is that right? Yeah, Brett Ratner film. Ugh. You know, I, I sometimes play, I think there's a really fun game of recast that you can play with Rush Hour of who... Uh, those that neither guys, of us are allowed to weigh in on. <laughs> true, yes. But those two guys are so specific is is the part of the game that I think is fun. They have very That's specific true. careers. That's true. Yes. I uh, I think I think that would be a very good game for people who are not us to play. <laughs> Fair. Um, all right. Well, given that, are you ready to watch the movie, Caroline? Uh, yeah, I am. I am very ready. And now that we're like fucking half an hour into this episode on Doom. <laughs> Uh, did I forget to mention that Paul Atreides is in this? I don't think oh, no. I said. Yeah, no, no, Paul Atreides is in this. Mr. After Hours, his name is a killing word. <laughs> bah! <laughs> Hey everyone, taking a break in the middle of the episode while Caroline and I watch the movie to uh, talk to you about our sponsor this week, and that sponsor is Liquid IV. It's a category-winning hydration brand fueling your well-being, and now it comes in sugar-free flavors. Liquid IV can aid in more effective hydration than water alone using a scientifically and clinically studied zero sugar hydration solution. Now, I know that there's like an incorrect assumption out there that Liquid IV is some kind of sports or energy drink, kind of like, and Corey, you're going to have to bleep this out, or or whatever swill the rocks pedaling nowadays, but it's not. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier, the result of extensive R&D to create a product that hydrates you more efficiently than water alone and tastes great while doing it. And this is how it works. You get your little pouch of Liquid IV powder, you tear open the top, and you drop it in 16 ounces of water, and you shake it up. And then that water is now much more flavorful and will hydrate you two times as fast as plain water would have. I've used Liquid IV after long walks in the sun or long work days when I forgot to drink water for 10 hours straight, and it works amazingly to get me feeling hydrated. And I'll tell you a secret hack, one rapidly aging millennial to another. It's a great preventative measure against hangovers, too. Uh, have you ever listened to an episode of this podcast where it kind of sounds like I've had one too many beers? Yeah? I'm looking at you, Ice Storm episode? I probably drank a Liquid IV immediately after we recorded. Nine out of ten times. Uh, so you can get 20% off when you grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier sugar-free or any other variant at liquidiv.com using my coupon code HHYNSPOD. That's H-H-Y-N-S-P-O-D at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop better hydration today using promo code HHYNSPOD at liquidiv.com. All right, back to the episode. We're back. I, I just want to put that up front because uh, if I sound a little gross, that's why. Uh, <laughs> if you listen, there's a, uh, a keen-eyed listeners in this podcast night notice. We just recorded the A-side for a future episode in which I am also quite sick. So see if you can uh, 
Call that one yeah, out. Yeah, at some point within the next two months, you will hear 20-ish minutes of Carson sounding similar to this. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, so after hours. After hours. What do you think, Caroline? Okay, I am interested to see where this discussion goes because mm. I think, I mean, I think this movie's great. I think it's really fun. Oh, yeah. I think it's rather silly. Um. Mm-hmm. And in the way that frequently, frequently Scorsese's films are about characters who constantly choose to do the wrong thing for personal gain and like are very, very, very um, obsessed with like what motivates our actions. Like what, like, like can't, like, why do these people like carry themselves like this? Like, why do they continue to like go down like this pipeline of evil? After Hours is a film where like a guy goes out and then just bad things happen to him for mm-hmm. like two hours. And it's just kind of that. And I'm just kind of like, okay, like, I know that Scorsese is very capable of making films in which the character's actions, like, you know, like when the characters are are choosing to be, you know, like are choosing to go, like continue to go down this dark, like this path and everything bad that happens to them is because they continue to choose to be there. And minute 20 of this movie, this guy's like, Nope, I'm out. Like, I'm done. Like, I just want to leave. And he can't. (laughs) And it's like... No. So I think... I'm curious to see if you agree. I kind of feel like my estimation of this film is like... Marty was like, I'm going to make something a little silly. And then he did. And that's what we got. And that's fine. It is... It is more than most Scorsese movies trying to capture a vibe... And a time and place. Yes. Uh, whereas, I, I, an interesting fact about this film that I think elucidates that is that this is his last non-adaptation, non-biography, autobiography movie. Oh, is that true? It's like this. It's like this, and Alice doesn't live here anymore. Like I think the only two movies that he and Taxi Driver, I think, are like the only of his movies that are like original screenplays. Oh, I think, you know, he's, I think you're right. He's one I of never, our I, great adapters. You know? Yeah, I never really um, thought about that. But yeah, like mm-hmm. Goodfellas, Casino, these are all based on books, like, which are based on people's lives. Wow, yeah, like, I, I guess I never really considered that. The Last Temptation of Christ based on the Bible. The Bible. Um, that's not even true. It's based on a book called <laughs> The Last Temptation of Christ, but um, which is based on the Bible. But uh, um, but yeah, so there is, I think, to that, compared to a lot of his other works, especially going forward, there is a, there's a looseness to this. There is a lack of um, urgency isn't the right word, but like a lack of importance to the proceedings, especially after the 90s, getting into his more recent work in the 21st century. Nearly all of his movies are about these really grand topics. They're they're often very religious. You know, these his movies are about these like kind of epic fights of good versus evil, like taking over the human soul. They're about the 
God Killers of the Flower Moon is about like the birth of the American identity in a lot of ways. Goodfellas is about, you know, fucking Gangs of New York is about like the foundations of the world's greatest city. It's like these very big lofty things. Whereas, and I think a lot of that kind of creeps into After Hours. I think Scorsese can't help but like take a lot of this material and give it a level of mythic importance in a lot of cases. But to your point, it is... It is just a lot loosey goosier and a lot funnier and a lot more fun yeah. than even his like straight up comedies yeah. after this. And it's a lot more like it's kind of in a lot of ways the flip side of what I think of when I think of a lot of Scorsese movies, because I think of a lot of Scorsese movies and they aren't these films, you know, I'm thinking Casino and Goodfellas and, you know, um even like Killers of the Flower Moon, like they aren't these films in which you set up a character in the first five minutes and then there's an inciting incident and then they do the inciting incident and then within 15 minutes of that, there is there is a very clear, and here is the problem. Here is the thing the character must defeat. You know, here is the, you know, the the character now has a goal, right? The character now has like an objective, right? Um, they're very much these films where he puts these people in a, in a moral or ethical, you know, situation. And it's like, how does the decision they make here lead them to the next one, which leads them to the next one, which leads them to the next one. So that by the time you are at the end of the film, these characters are so far away from like where they began and like who they were. And it was like that. Th- those nuggets of like who they were are there. Like that capacity to like do evil or do harm or whatever is there in the beginning, but it's just like it's it's like the snowball effect of like these characters' choices. And after hours is almost the complete opposite. It's literally like the the you know the uh, normal world inciting incident like whatever, whatever, refusal of the call almost even when he's like, is like, okay, I'm going to like leave this place. You know what I mean? Like it is this very plot structured thing where like this guy like kind of stops growing as a person by Mm -hmm. minute 20 and he's just stuck in this limbo and he's just like, I just want to get home. And it's just anything he can do to get home. Like it's almost like this inversion of like what I think of when I think of a Scorsese film. Um, And it's goofy. And so often. Yeah. 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 His, his protagonists so often are like beset with a kind of obsession, which is, I, I, I you know, a, a common theme yes. in a lot of the works of our kind of, you know, great canonized directors, because oftentimes these are people who are themselves major obsessives. Yes. Um, you know, like all of Nolan's movies are about a guy that wants to do a thing really badly and he has to, you know, put together a a, a very highly technical uh, set of conditions in which to accomplish that thing. And a lot of Scorsese's movies are about like a guy who has a really grim task to accomplish and he either really, really wants to do it or he really, really doesn't, but he has to. Um, and after hours feels very strange because it is not about those things. It is about a guy who's like, man, my office job sure is boring. Wouldn't it be cool if I'm, I mean, honestly, Griffin done in this movie, maybe the most, um, 
in terms of all of Scorsese's protagonists, maybe the guy I can I can the most personally relate to because I've certainly like gone out and been like, man, wouldn't it be cool if like a cool girl walked in <laughs> and I got to talk to her? Yeah. And that took my night in an interesting direction. Yeah. And like that's what he wants and he gets it. And then it's just like, well, yeah, you didn't actually get anything very good though. No, a hundred percent. Bit of a monkey's paw. Yeah, it's interesting because it is just like this. It is just this funny, I don't know. I mean, it is, it is the, the classic, like, you know, quote unquote, like the night story. You know what I mean? It's like, Mm -hmm. well, let me tell you about that night. You know what I mean? And it's Mm -hmm. like, and I think there are a few, which we'll get into. There are a few plot points that I think aesthetically this film navigates in a way that allows it to still be like kind of comedic and jovial but like in hindsight do kind of give a little bit of an ick but overall it is just like it is the story where like um you know it is we all have one of those those nights you know there's there's a scene at the end of this when he's talking to the talking to the guy who uh, thinks he has been picked up by Griffin Dunn mm-hmm. and he's just like relating the story and he starts at the very beginning and then it just crossfades and it like picks up like you know like at the very end and it's just like oh my god like you know just that thing of like and then this happened and this happened and then this happened like we've all had like these crazy insane nights um, we're just like you'll never fucking believe what happened um, like yeah. like for example you were there, I think. Yeah, you were there the one night when we were all out drinking, and then we were standing on my fire escape smoking cigarettes. And then mm-hmm. the 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 man walking by, the very gay man who was walking by, was like, "Are y'all queers?" Oh and yeah, like yeah. Oh yeah. And he's like, "Great, can I bum a cigarette from you?" And then this guy proceeded to come into my apartment and then hook up with yes. one of my friends, and we were all just yeah, we were all just drinking and having a great time. And then we woke up the next morning, and we're like. Like, huh? I mean, he was great. He was nice. I still follow him on Instagram, but <laughs> yeah, he that was uh, a night in which I felt very much like Griffin Dunn. Huh? Uh, in that, I felt very much like Griffin Dunn. In that, I looked down at my watch and realized it was five in the yes. morning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I had to drive back to Cleveland to go to work the next day. That's the if I ever told. I mean, I probably did at the time, but that is the worst. Very nearly the worst night of working at a bar I've ever had. I believe it. Because I was up so late listening to this man's story. Um, Yeah, that was a a very interesting situation. And that was only the last two and a half hours of the night, two and a half, three hours of the night. Yeah, yeah. We had a whole Mm -hmm. gallivant around town before then. But anyways, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, Yeah. yeah, I think it's like it's, it's funny that this movie start that this film starts with, um, and it, I don't have like an ultimate opinion on it, but I I, I can't help but mm-hmm. notice it kind of starts with that manic pixie dream girl fantasy thing a little bit, where it's like, man, what if you were, what yeah. if you were at a like just eating eating your dinner by yourself, like at a diner, and you're reading a a book that means a lot to you, and like the most beautiful woman you've ever seen, it's like I love that book, and, and what if she, yeah. what if she recognizes like how good and smart your taste is and approaches you. And it's like, I don't know. It's fun because it, it does kind of like put that trope on its head a little bit of like, yeah. of like everybody wishes that this would happen to them. 
but um but if it actually did like like the kind of person who's gonna like interrupt you <laughs> in public <laughs> reading a book and you know what and try and sell you her friends bagel paperweights yeah, and, and yeah. You know what i am i am i am an adult i will admit this um i watched this movie earlier this week um mm-hmm. and between then and now i went to a coffee shop to do work as i want to do because i work remotely and i was done with like my work and there was like still like an hour or two left in my day i'm like you know i need to kill some time in case something comes up like, in case i get like an email or whatever and so i pulled out a book in this coffee shop and i was just like and it's a very popular book right now uh and i was just like i was mm-hmm. like oh like I was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe maybe this will serve as a conversation starter and someone cute will come up to me. Yeah. And I just watched After Hours yeah. the night before yeah. that happened. <laughs> it, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I want to say, you know, because I want to be able to talk about it. And certainly if you've seen this movie, you don't need to be told the content of this movie. But content warning, uh, this movie does feature sexual assault, suicide. Um, yes. I mean, m- mob violence. Yeah. <laughs> like there's there, – it, and it is one of those where it is kind of magical how some of it can be played off as pretty zany funny despite the fact that it's also represented as pretty horrible. Yeah, and – But, yeah. yeah. The mob violence I, I find to be less uh, – uh, that's pretty objectionable. funny. That stuff's, just, but yeah, and, yeah, that stuff's super zany. I mean, that's that's that's. But when I said earlier, like, there's a few plot points that do kind of mm-hmm. they vibe with the aesthetic of the film the way they are presented. But and I like understand the joke or the the vibe that they're going for, but they do. Yeah, they're a little. They're a little. I don't. I, I don't love them. I don't hate them. Yeah. Because I get it, but I don't love them either. Yeah. The two, the best thing I can, I think can be said towards them is I do think it lends to something that is very Scorsese about this movie, very kind of classically so, is that one, this movie is a bit of a genre exercise. It's like, can you do a screwball comedy and like a gritty taxi driver style film noir like new film noir movie in the same movie Mm -hmm. uh and also i think in a lot of ways this i mean this movie's a bit of a descent into hell movie you know it's a bit of a you're gonna see this guy go through dante's inferno and these things that start out being very innocent are going to turn really really dark um and yeah it's this is certainly the scorsese movie because we talked about on patreon a bit we'll talk about on patreon a lot last next year uh hint hint but there is a lot of kind of moralized objection to scorsese movies which in a lot of ways i think are pretty unfounded um because i i actually think he's a filmmaker with a really clear sense of view and a very uh a very strong moral backbone uh but in the case of this movie i'm like if you watch it you're just like you're not going to vibe with how rough this stuff is and also how funny it is like two seconds later. Like I get that. I understand, you know, right. I, I really cannot blame someone for that, that just not being their cup of tea. Right. And it's, and, and that's the thing where I get, where, where I'm conflicted on it because yeah. I understand a lot of what he is going for. And I think to some degree he does pull it off. So, okay. Yes. Like Carson said, a content warning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
so the scene where she talks about how she was assaulted, mm-hmm. I understand. I understand. And I don't even want to say joke because it does feel less like a joke and more of just like a, a moment that he's going for where it's like, we have all been, yep. All been in a situation mm-hmm. in which we are talking to a person that we barely know and they give a yeah. hugely gross overshare. And I don't mm-hmm. mean gross, like disgusting. I mean, gross, like extremely large. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you just are sitting there and you're like, uh, um, what do I even what? say? To yeah. That? Like, yeah. like, are, are, and like he says, he's just like, what did, did they get the guy? Like, it's just that thing of like, yeah. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> Yeah, just that thing of like where people present you with deeply personal information and you don't know this person well enough to understand why they are presenting you with that information, what that information means to them, what this information means to their the way they are relating to you in this moment. And you just like you then just are you find yourself instantly on top of eggshells and you're like, um, Mm. How about the Mets? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. so I, I get it. And I think, I think everybody in this movie is in on it. Like I, like I, I yeah. think one of the things that I will say about that moment that I think makes it, that I think makes it work better than it could, because I think a worse way to do that scene is if like, is if you make um, Rosanna Arquette's character, Marcy, like really like, like, like she's in on it is what I'm getting at. What I'm trying to, like she is playing. It's a really like this, like she is playing a woman who is kind of socially unaware and who is like very casually, like, like she is playing, like Arquette is playing it as a comedy bit about a woman who was grossly oversharing. And I, it's a, yeah. yeah. And so I think it's a deconstruction of a manic pixie dream girl before that was even a, even a, trope. yes, you mentioned it earlier, but it is, I, I think it is, that is the truth of it yes. in a lot of ways watching it. And now. so I think part of, I think one thing that wouldn't work that would make it not quote unquote work as well is if it was about centering Griffin Dunn's experience hearing this and she played it mm-hmm. either either really straight um or if she played it very like very straight very like emotional very real and it was like and after hearing that like the joke is like he's uncomfortable by it or vice versa mm-hmm. where it's like she plays her super unhinged and like making fun of her and like whatever um and I think the way she like so casually does it and gives you this really uncomfortable juxtaposition, like I think that that is something that she is obviously very consciously doing and it works. It works aesthetically and in the moment. And if you, and if I kind of think about it for too long, it does, it does still give me the ick a little bit. Yeah. 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 I, 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 another thing I think that works about, that interaction and I, I think especially later when he comes back and finds her dead is that it is, it, it, it maintains a very comedic upbeat zany sort of attitude towards these very cruel things. But so often the joke is it 
Dunn's feet too. I, I think if there's another thing that Scorsese's getting at, you know, with all the castration imagery and and the mouse traps and the shark on the man's dick is like, well, so much of this is only occurring because Griffin Dunn is like horny and he can't help himself, you know, like there's this awkwardness when she starts, you know, that whole scene, that first scene in her bedroom where he sees the burns and she starts talking about the assault and the boyfriend and the husband and the, you know, going through all of it. And like, what, if there is a proper response in that situation, it's probably for Griffin Dunn to be like, hmm, actually, do you have one of those plaster paperweights? If not, uh, that's fine. Here's my phone number. I'll talk to you about this tomorrow. I think I'm going to see myself out. And he doesn't because he's soldiering through this extremely awkward, cruel situation so that he can make out with Roseanne Arquette. Like that is the explicit want of that character in that moment. And later when he comes back to the apartment, the only reason he finds her dead is that her friend is like, well, yeah, you should go finish what you started. And what he should do is be like, no, I need to get home. I'm going to go get the, you know, I'm going to get the guy's keys and take him back to him and then go home. But he doesn't get to go home in that moment because he's like, no, I don't know. I'd like to kiss Roseanne Arquette again, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, so there's a skewing of that. There's also, I think, just a general in terms of culture and style. There's this like late 80s, early 90s, like uptown yuppieism versus diverse, weird, interesting downtown Soho culture thing going on, which, you know, I, I am not, I was not alive during that time. I don't, I don't like have a great sense of what that was, but like you can feel, I think the weight of these two cultures straining against each other, like him changing shirts is almost like this weird anointment into this like different culture that he is not used to. Um, yeah, I, so I, I don't know. I, this is a, a very this movie super light in its feet, but I do think that there is a lot to it. I don't think that Martin Scorsese has it in him to make a movie that is about nothing. No, I agree. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, what else? Okay. What? Okay, here's a question. Yes. Because this movie's pretty episodic. Yes. It's it's kind of you know cyclical, and he goes through a lot of the same situations again and again. But like, what's your favorite? What's your favorite of the little vignettes? Oh, I mean, they're. Oh, I mean, like, that's the thing is there are so many good ones. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I personally think, I think just, like, my straight-up favorite has to be, um, I mean, it just kind of has to be the whole Catherine O'Hara bit. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's just because I, I, I like her so much as a performer. Um, that's really good. Um, but, I mean, I also think, okay, I mean, I think the moment, the singular moment in this film that makes me laugh the most is when he's arguing with the bouncer and the bouncer's just like, yeah, I'll let you in in a minute, even though you gave me the money. And he's like, hey, yeah, go on ahead. And and he's just like, why'd you let him in? And he goes, well, it's Mohawk night. Like, it's yeah. so stupid. But that just like, that that simple line delivery is I think the moment that I like cackled out loud the hardest in the film. She's like, if you had, if you'd had a mohawk, I would have let you right in because it's mohawk. Night. Yeah. But you paid me the money. I'll let you in in a minute. Like you'll get in, just yeah. but you still need to get me in. Like it's just really good. Um, but I don't know. Um, he's like, come on, man, you're in a suit. Like I don't think. I mean, he says it. He's like, I don't think you want them there. Right. <laughs> 
I don't know. What about you? What's your favorite bit of this one? I I really like upon rewatch. I I really I find there to be something really touching about all the stuff with Terry Gar. Um, I, I don't know. That's possibly just because on Patreon we just talked about Young Frankenstein and she's in my head so yes. much. But like, I find the idea of this like cocktail waitress it is like a fucking bruce springsteen song like a cocktail waitress in a dive bar who lives in a shitty apartment but it's like adorned with chintzy 1960s like paraphernalia and that's the inspiration for her entire out like her entire look and it's 25 years out of date yeah yeah, yeah. like I, it make it makes me sad in like a really in a really deep strange way yeah but the scene's still really funny. I okay, so I thought about that scene because uh-huh. I was I was trying to think like, okay, what's the equivalent of if you were to, and you shouldn't do this, like don't do this. But if you were to remake After Hours now, awful. What's the kind of cultural? Yeah, don't do it. But what is the cultural equivalent of that? And I think I thought of a good, a good example. Oh, hold on, let me. Think. Which is yeah. Hmm. See, I that that's interesting to me because especially like not that it wasn't this way in the 80s, mm. but nostalgia has been so weaponized that like I I can't I don't want to be like, well, obviously it would be like the 80s, like obviously it would be like the whatever, because I feel like there's so much preying on anything that can have a nostalgia ribbon put on it being sold back to us. So mm-hmm. I don't know that I have one, but what's your what's your answer? It uh, to me, it's like if some if you went to a woman's apartment and she was like all in on no, it is still two thousand and two, and I am a scene kid. Like she had no, like, no, no, the no, curtain no, bangs. No. That, no, Caroline, think about it. Think about it. <laughs> I'm not because of course in the nostalgia thing, it's not as though we do not borrow you know aesthetic signifiers and like uh you know bits of fashion from former you know from from times past from like other artistic movements that is very common there's a lot of kids now i think you might consider yourself one that are still like a little a little like emo inflected there's a little bit of that kind of thing but you like no one goes all the way into that in the way they did in that time in that place and if they did you would pick them out in a crowd and be like, huh, odd. Nobody really does that I mean, anymore. that's fair. I guess my I guess my pushback to it is like the 60s thing with like the monkeys and the beehive haircut and everything. That's very like, by the time this film rolls around, that's so quaint where like, yeah. where like I feel like the emo scene kid thing would be so embarrassing, like so cringy. Yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to be cringy in this I think, movie I though. think it's supposed to be a little bit cringy but like I yeah I, I just but but no I feel it like literally um I was uh I was recently at an event and I was like volunteering at this thing and I was wearing my comical romance shirt as I wanted to do mm. and this, mm. this teenager and they were just like they were just like yo I love your shirt and I'm just like Oh, thank you. And they were like, that's my favorite band. And I was like, nice. I was like, mine too. And they were like, they were like, yeah, I've been listening to them since I was in like the fourth grade. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm just like, kid, me too. The only difference, the only difference there, however, is um when I was in the fourth grade, that's when this record came out. <laughs> like yeah. I 
<laughs> and I'm just like, I'm just like, yeah, yeah. Like just like the, the kids are fighting the emo and, um, and I'm still very much, I still like that band specifically. I still very much am a Mike Hen stand, but, and I never yeah, stopped. And um, you can attest to that. I, I, I can not to say that you, that you shouldn't, they've held up a lot better than the other big bands. I know. I know. I mean, God, it's not. Not Panic at the Disco, that's the, for sure. The vindication, the the I was right about them the whole time. Uh, mm-hmm. Ammunition just piles up daily. It's just it's it's been growing exponentially. It's been compounding um, mm-hmm. since I was a senior in high school. Anyways, yes. So uh, it's just all this great stuff. I mean, we could just go through the plot bit by bit. I don't necessarily want to do that but i you know i I just want to call a few things out i do love um you already mentioned it but the near the end of the film when he runs to the guy and just asks if he can come home with them and it's one of the funnier bits of the movie that's played really really low key that griffin dunn is so high energy and this guy is basically an entirely different movie he's like this guy that walks on screen and is like presented with this information. He's like, you know what? I never considered myself to be a gay man, but I guess tonight's the <laughs> night. Like, I, 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 you know, I've lived in Soho long enough. I think this is something I need to explore. And like, he's treating it very seriously. And Griffin Dunn is, you know, we've obviously seen everything that le- that's led him to this point, but he's losing his mind. And I think it also, it, it forms this like kind of nice circle, I think with, um, all the stuff with Roseanne Arquette in the beginning of the movie, because there is this aspect of that, that first scene that they have that we've talked about a bit where it's like, oh yeah, she's just kind of oversharing. And there's so much lore about herself that she's presenting as though it is something that I should already know. And then you can cut to the end of the film in which Griffin Dunn is like, and the woman killed herself and there was a plaster man and guess- and this woman loved the monkeys and like all this stuff has happened you would they raised the fair i couldn't get home yeah and then and then there's that moment that i love where he's recounting still when he's recounting the tale to the guy and he's just like and he's just like and then guess what and then the bartender says that his girlfriend just killed himself yeah. a coincidence <laughs> no because it's the same girl just like just like they're the same person Yeah. And you get this wonderful moment of like seeing how insane Griffin Dunn seems in that guy's eyes. Correct. Um, Yeah. It's, it's so fantastic. Um, The, I, I, the stuff with Catherine O'Hare at the end is just very, it's, it's odd that it almost, the movie almost ends on this incredibly sweet moment. Almost. Like almost so close until it goes even more full circle. He gets put in the plaster, you know, the, um, the, it's okay. Can, do you want to, I don't know if you have any definite thoughts about this, but do you want to talk about kind of the use of like specifically the queer community of 1980s New York as like a plot device in this movie? Yeah. Yeah. Cause like I, I have an opinion about it, but I would certainly like to hear yours first. I don't really think I have a, a straight up opinion about it. Like I don't have like a mm-hmm. thesis or a take. I will say, I think it's, I think it's pretty neat that, um, there is just like, there are just like gay people and gay men specifically like throughout this movie mm-hmm. and like an understanding 
um, in, in a film, in a film in which so many insane zany things happen, there is this moment when he is talking to the bartender and there's just these two like leather daddies talking to one another mm-hmm. at the bar very flirtatiously. Like they are like clearly together and they're just yeah. minding their own business. And it's, it is played as this very, it is played as a very um, conspicuous moment of world building. Like it is setting you like mm-hmm. in this place, in this time, it is used as this just kind of like, and tonight is getting like tonight is getting real right tonight is getting intense like we are not like he you know like he is in you know he is like deep in the city like he is like you know um but it's never played at their expense right and there's this moment that's really sweet when i don't even remember exactly what is said but he's talking to the bartender and he says something sad um and then one of them just like puts his hand over his heart and just goes Oh, like he's just like listening in on the conversation mm. and like empathizing with them. And that's like the most action he gets in the entire scene, other than being the two extras in the scene making out with one another. And so I don't really have like a take on it. Um, sure. Other than just like, I like that it is all in there in a film in which a lot of people do a lot of crazy shit to kind of um signal to the audience that like he is in this like he is in a place that's very not normal you know like he is surrounded by crazy zany kooky characters doing crazy zany kooky shit and at no point in the story would griffin dunn come away from this night and just be like and then he's like you know you know, and then I saw two men kissing, like two men in like yeah. in in leather vests and caps kissing at the bar. It's like it's like that is the least of his fucking worries. So yeah. that's yeah. It's, I mean, it might be more just like well, there was like a gay community group that was after me at one point. You know, I've seen. I, I only mention this because I've seen some. I don't, I don't want to call it griping, but some some uh, mentioning of like how. An ostensibly almost entirely group of gay people in this Soho community are like used as the signifiers of, oh, this is a a, a non-standard situation to be in, which I, I think that just demonstrates that like, yeah, so gay communities have been subjugated and like, you know, forced into certain neighborhoods throughout history. That is actually a true thing that has happened in America. And then there's been some like, well, they're ostensibly the villains in the movie, which I don't agree with. I mean, I don't it's either. Very, no, I disagree with yeah, that it, wholeheartedly. It, it, it's such a mis the misunderstanding of it is so clear, you know, that it's all this big mistake. And also I think it's a bit of a deft, a deft use of a group of people in terms of, well, we need to justify how you could get a big group of a community like all on the same page about like something that is a threat to their safety really quickly. And why would they all be in the same neighborhood? And why would they all be up this late? Yeah. And, and like the use of like a queer enclave in 1980s, New York, like fits that bill. 
Like it, it is just a, you know, it's a community group that is very interested in, in serving its own interests and keeping itself safe because guess what? The fucking cops weren't doing anything about it. So like, it makes sense that if there is this, you know, guy on the prowl, well, everyone in the neighborhood's going to hear about it pretty quickly. Yeah. And not only- And like, of course it's ridiculous and overblown, but- Yeah. You know, and not only no that, way. but like, I do feel like, I mean, this is, I, I mean, this is fucking 1985. Yeah. Like- like movies and TV, like it didn't become, it did not become gauche to like, to like blatantly just make fun of gay people just for existing and being gay until like the late two thousands. Like if you watch any sitcom, like there's a bunch of sitcoms in the nineties, you know, it's, it's the whole Seinfeld. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's like, there's all of this. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah, by the time you get to the nineties and the two thousands, like it's getting a little more, um, you know, it's getting a little more, taboo to just make fun of gay people but like you can still do gay panic or you can still make fun of how they're like kind of feminine and it's like it's like they should have rights and we yeah. love them and they're people we know in our who are in our community but like <laughs> they're kind of fucking gay right like like they're, yeah, yeah. They're, like they're pretty gay and like i think for yeah. this film to do so much at the expense of so many characters and have so many characters whose entire being is to be this like gross caricature of a person that you know of uh, of not like you know like these made up archetypes of just like what if we just imagine the strangest person ever and they yeah. do that 20 times and the fact that none of those characters is and what if the thing that made and then what if he ran into a, a really really gay guy you know and i mean yeah. like the fact that they never do that yeah. like it does not bother me in the slightest like this film is like this film is like okay how can we signal to the audience that these that like he's surrounded by a bunch of fucking crazy people okay what if she comes out in a 1960s clear raincoat that accommodates the beehive yeah. hair and takes her back mm -hmm. and and what you know and is and is just decked out in the 1960s why i don't know cuz it's funny you know it's like a very strange yeah. thing um and what if she says shit like like do you like the monkeys like you know what i mean yeah. like like and the fact that none of those characters are and then oh my god and then what if what if he goes to the bar and this guy is like, oh yeah, like you can come up to my place and use a tell and use my telephone. <laughs> and what if that guy was gay? Like the fact that they never get into yeah. that is like, like, no, it does not bother me. The use of like the queer community yeah. in this film, because I think for the eighties, I think it is actually rather radical to, to have people like that, especially if you're Martin Scorsese, right? Like, you know, yeah. you are this, you are this, um, you know, you are this up and coming filmmaker who's known for making like dark, gritty films about dark, gritty, masculine men. Starring Robert De Niro. Right. Yeah. And the yeah. fact that he is just like, yeah, and then like there's some gay people and he finds himself surrounded by some gay people. Mm -hmm. And like, that's just like, cause he's in that part of town at that night, at that time of night. Like it, no. Yeah. 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 
And he's like, it's unfamiliar to him, but it's not. It's not bad. Yeah. Like. Yeah. 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 He is. He. The closest. Well, the the just the problem is the problem is that he that he is there, not that he is there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's not yes, like Griffin yeah. Dunn, our great amazing protagonist who we all know and love, has to get himself out of like some gay, like a gay part of Soho. Oh no. It's yeah, and then this fucking like dumbass yuppie word processor straight guy like tries to go out and be like this cool, like gets himself in over his head when he goes down to Soho to like try to sleep with a girl and then like he has no idea what the fuck he's doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's He's just so over his head. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the closest you get is that, like, Kiki is very queer-coded. Maybe just to a modern eye. I don't know. Yeah. But, and she is presented as as very strange. She's presented as but strange, that's, but not for that reason. Yeah. And then she also, No, like, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a lot more going on there than just she has short hair and, you know, yeah. severe makeup, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it's a good movie. I like it a lot. I think it's so strange and, and, and interesting and uh, very watchable and very short, which is as much as I love how long Scorsese movies get, you know, not always a uh, not always something he sticks to. It's like a tight 90 minutes. Yeah. But yeah, he gets paper mache Cheech and Chong. We've talked about Cheech Marin a lot more on this show than I would have uh, guessed in the past couple of years. Yeah. He's come up a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, from Dust Till Dawn, certainly. Uh, mm-hmm. And that all over mm-hmm. that one. Uh, oh, yeah. He falls off the truck right in front of his job, goes back. Which is a great just, bit. Great bit. Just plugs back into, well, I guess I'm back in my shitty yuppie life now. And like, thank God, why did I ever try and escape it? You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but great. I love it. Do we, do you have any other thoughts about After Hours? I feel like, I feel like yes and no. You know what I mean? It's one of those movies that especially, because yeah. like you mentioned, because it is so vignette like I could just stop and mm-hmm. be like, oh, and then this scene's great because of this. And like this scene's great because of this. But like, yeah, no, I mean, it, it was super enjoyable. Would gladly watch it again pretty much any time. Um. Yeah. Great performances, great, great cast, one. great ensemble. Mm-hmm. Like everyone yeah. I feel like just like shows up. And I do think that like Catherine O'Hara like kind of is my favorite um, because she's Catherine O'Hara. But like everyone shows up and just like come like just comes out to play, you know? Yeah. Like Terry Gar also I, MVP. Hilarious. I think Roseanne Arquette's performance is really important. I mean, you kind of talked about it before, but I think her finding the balance in that is really yes, important. Yes, a hundred percent. This movie working. It is. It is that yeah. thing of like. I mean, you know, um, I think. I think she has probably the hardest job, which is, like, you know, um, I mean, it's that thing of just like what separates kind of like horror from comedy is like you know, like how we're reacting, like, you know, how we're reacting to the things on screen, right? Like on paper, so much mm-hmm. stuff happens in horror that could just as easily happen in a slapstick and vice versa. But it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's how do the people on screen react and how does that make us react? And I think that like, similarly a way that a thing that she does that's super important. And we, we kind of talked about it already, but I think she does have the hardest needle to thread, which is, which is she, 
is able to like because because we are not laughing at her expense you know um because she is in on the joke and because she is like playing this like very broad very absurd character like it it is the only thing that makes those scenes work because otherwise they could be super exploitative and gross and i think that for 1985 i think that they are pretty good about that um yeah i think that there's you know like certainly can critique certainly have certainly will critique some of that but you know for 1985, I think they she does a pretty good job. I think my favorite darkest joke, which again, not for everyone. I, if it's just you know, if you find it to be untasteful, I understand. But it really makes me laugh that he finds her dead and then leaves the signs that just say "dead person" yes. with arrows and no other context. And I love that joke because. The joke is pointed squarely at Griffin Dunn. It's like, dude, you you seriously do not see how this is going to be. <laughs> like, how people are going to see this situation as soon as you leave this apartment. Right. This is not a solve for this, this situation at all, you know? Yeah. Uh, but great movie. I love it. It's probably the, in terms of Scorsese deep cuts, it's probably the one I recommend the most because it's... So comedic and so short. Certainly, yeah. I'm curious. It's it's hard for me to be like, go watch Last Temptation of Christ. Go watch Age of Innocence. You know, they're so long and grand and deep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say it's probably still the deepest cut Scorsese movie that I've now seen. I think it's the deepest cut of all of them. Um, cause yeah, I don't think, I don't think the King of Comedy, the King of Comedy is definitely like his B tier, but I don't think it's a deep cut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess it's my favorite deep cut as well. Yeah. I just, I haven't seen Alice Doesn't Live Here anymore. Not yet. Yeah, not I, yet. Not yet. But soon. But soon. But soon. All right. But soon. All right. Well, Corey, do you want to tell the nice folks at home where they can find this podcast? If you like what you hear, please be sure to like us and subscribe wherever you stream your podcasts. Leaving a review will also really help out the visibility of the show. A huge thank you to Callie McAlexander for our social media. Please make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all at Pod. A very special thank you to our patrons. If you'd like a shout out on the show and bonus content, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Pod. We'd love to have you over there and you can get all of our content for starting at $3 per month. Any other questions, please head over to patreon.com slash Pod. Thank you so much. Carol, yes. next week, I, I hope I am not <laughs> ill. <laughs> I hope you're not ill, too. That would be sad. I am holding it up right now. Here it is. The CVS. CVS brand. Yes. um, Daytime extra strength. Right right at at one point when we were recording this, I think it was technically in between, like, when when we were on the call, we were in between sections, and we were not recording, recording, but your phone went off, and you went, ah, it's three o'clock, and then I just see you drinking straight from this bottle of cough syrup. I this will be gone by the end of the day. Uh, amazing. <laughs> be safe. Um, but next week, I I am safe. I am safe. Next week, we are talking about a film which Carson has not seen. Um, it is the um, it is the and I always I always get this wrong. 
I believe it is the 2007 Oscar winner. So a film that came out in 2006, but the award was given in 2007 for best foreign language film, which I think was called something different back then. I think it was best foreign film back then. Um, but you know, mm. it won that award. 2006 film coming out in 2007. I think it won Best Comedy or Musical at the Globes that year, too, actually. I, I don't – maybe, maybe. I'd have to fact check that. <laughs> um, we are watching a little film called The Lives of Others. Oh. A, I'm very fascinated. Yes, a very critically acclaimed uh, uh, film from Germany from 2006. So Love it. Well, I'm excited to watch that next week. Yes, I am excited for you to watch it as well. Um, And we will see you all next week when we talk the lives of others.